We are uh, in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount, best sermon ever. Uh, we're in verse 10 today. Praise the Lord. We finished verse 9, and uh, we're looking at uh, uh, how we should pray. Jesus taught us, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6, 10. I want to tell you a little story. There once was a kingdom known and experienced by many. It was a place where everything was so clean and tidy. This kingdom had many workers that would, would come and constantly clean up after the guests of the kingdom. Everyone had a smile on their face and seemed to have so much fun in this kingdom as it provided its guests with many wonderful and thrilling attractions. The kingdom's work was play and having fun. Each day brought many new visitors to this happy kingdom. It was almost magical, but it had a problem. No one could really live in the kingdom. It was a pretend paradise, and after each day spent in the kingdom, the guests would have to depart the kingdom before the gates would close. Despite its creator, known to some as Walt, and its king, known for his two large ears, the visitors inevitably became snarled in traffic, leaving the kingdom's massive parking lots. As guests waited for traffic to clear, the magic began to wear off and reality returned. In fact, the only magical thing ended up being how fast the guests' money had disappeared at the kingdom. And the kingdom's name was? Maybe you know, you could say Disney whatever and you'd have it right there, yeah. Well, today we're looking at something different and a different definition and experience for kingdom. We look at the petitions today in the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. It's no coincidence, I believe this, it's no coincidence that as we're going through this model prayer of Jesus, that right after we recognize God's nature, his character, his being, and that he is, he is what? Holy, right after that, Jesus models for us in this prayer that we must now after that acknowledgement, plead for God's rule and reign, both now and in the future. And so the question as we get started this morning is this, are we aligned to his reign and rule in our lives? Let's just take the quiz. Is your life lined up with his rule and reign? What about you guys? Is your life lined up with his rule and reign? Now, it is good to obey laws. I'm not advocating we don't, but they're just laws. Are you with me? It is good to obey those in authority over us. But ultimately, as a Christian, beyond all this temporal, temporary, world, earth stuff, do our lives align with the rule and reign? of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Because that's ultimately 
what matters. And ultimately, people are watching us who call ourselves Christians to see where our lives align. So let's read and look at the Lord's Prayer again. In this manner, therefore, pray. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. How long? Forever. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to look at your word today. And thank you once again that we can see your instruction for us. We can see you modeling for us, not the exact words to pray, but the, the, the things, the attitudes, the important things that we should be coming before you with. So we want to do that, Lord. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, number one, we're going to look at kingdoms. By the way, I'm really pushing down on this, and I think it's going to be okay. If you were not here last week, you need to go watch the video, because I, I broke the entire uh, pulpit there. So anyway, and Matthew's grateful he's not running around looking for a stand like last week, but it's crazy. Point number one, kingdoms. Well, wait, it says, your kingdom come. Lamar, why are you saying that? Because when we look at kingdoms... Here's what I think, okay? I may not be the greatest theologian in the world, but I've been at this a long time, and I've observed my own life and people's lives. And there's a little battle between kingdoms in our lives. My kingdom or his kingdom? Have you ever experienced that battle in your life? Maybe not for a year or 10 years, but come on. There are many times when we're facing a decision or something's been thrown in our face that we are determining my kingdom or his kingdom you see without the constant working of god's spirit in our lives as transformed christians our default is to our kingdom without the transformational work of god in our life the default is always my kingdom right how many of you have kids or grandkids or raised a child did you have to teach them to do what they did did you notice selfish, a selfish thing pops up and you looked at that kid or grandkid and, and before you went, why are you like that? The Lord said, because they're like you. <laughs> we have selfish tendencies, okay? So it's clear scripture teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have missed the mark. Holy God, perfection. We're all touched by sin. And scripture is clear. We're not just touched by it. Are you ready for this? Here's a downer for you. We're all born into the kingdom of Satan. The kingdom of sin. I didn't get a single amen. You see, that kingdom has been ushered in by the prince of darkness, by Lucifer, Satan. And he, what does scripture tell us? He's like a roaring lion, isn't he? He's seeking to devour whatever he can. He's going to and fro, not just back in the old days with brother Job, but right now and even today. It's a kingdom that we're all touched by. But praise God, we're transformed as Christians out of that kingdom of sin and Satan to God's kingdom. We praise God today. I praise God today for salvation. And for liberation. 
And even though we live with the ramifications of this worldly kingdom, we're living in our sinful world. We can do more than just live for our kingdom. I like the way Alan Redpath said it. Here's what he said. Before we can pray, thy kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, my kingdom go. I like that. My kingdom go. So let's look beyond our kingdom and let's look today at God's kingdom. Chiefly, before you do that, I know a lot of people want to debate things and split hairs and a lot of people have great things. When they say kingdom, they say it means this or it means this and this or it means this, this and this. Here's what I want you to get, overarching everything. It is God's kingdom. I don't care how you play out what, what you believe, the Bible, everything the Bible said. We must all agree on this. Your kingdom come. It's God's kingdom. Amen? It's God's kingdom. It's not my kingdom. It's not a, a book that I'm reading. It's not their kingdom. It's not what I was taught or what I've studied. It's not what maybe the family believes. Listen, it is God's kingdom Ultimately, when we pray, your kingdom come, we show a desire for a few things. Number one, for the manifestation of God's kingdom on the earth and also his rule and reign being present. Yes, his rule and reign is present. I understand that he is sovereign. But there will be a day when his rule and reign will be it. Right? Amen? John MacArthur's and, and, and others have helped me break this down for me. I'm going to give you three C's to think about this morning. Number one is conversion, the word conversion. Do you know what that word means? It means when we're regenerated. That means when we repent of our sin and we run to God and ask for forgiveness, He is the one who saves. Amen? Our God is the one who saves. And we're converted from that kingdom of sin to God's kingdom. You see, the kingdom of God comes to the one who believes as Jesus becomes ruler of his or her life. So today, if you're not sure, you don't have a relationship with the Lord, if you've not been saved, you're not in that kingdom. It comes only to those who believe and are part of God's family. John 1.12. Number two, commitment. So we have conversion and we have commitment. As we think about God's kingdom, as a believer, we live by righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Well, how can that be, Lamar? Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Listen to this. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking. Sorry. What is it? Here's what it says. But righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. Again, the, if we live in this way, the kingdom of God is apparent in his or her life, and I think we miss that. We must live in a way where it is different than our world and its order and its kingdom. If I was going to ask someone that observed you this week, maybe you didn't know they were observing you. Maybe it was at the game. Maybe it was at the store. Maybe it was at work. If I could go and ask them, is that a child of the king? What would they say? What would they say? So conversion, we see it. Commitment, we see it. And ultimately, hear me, ultimately, coming again. Jesus is coming again. Do you believe it? 
Have you read to the end of the book? He is coming again. So ultimately, of course, we see that Jesus will return and I believe set up his earthly and millennial kingdom. So I would say to you, don't get bogged down either way. Remember, the kingdom is both present and future. All right, those are three C's. Let me help you out a little farther, further with the kingdom of God. Let's look at two G's for a minute. Other scholars have said it this way. First, that it is a kingdom of grace. Have you ever heard that? It's a kingdom of grace. What does that mean? It's a kingdom which God sets up and maintains in the hearts of all the living members of Christ by his spirit and by his word. We sang about that this morning. And chiefly, it is also the kingdom of glory. So we have kingdom of grace and then we have kingdom of glory, which one day will be set up when Jesus returns again. Let me share a few scriptures with you. John the Baptist speaking, Matthew 3, 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 17, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 25, 34, do you remember this chapter when the discussion is about at the end and there's sheep and goats? By the way, you want it just in case you don't understand all that, you want to be a sheep, okay? You always want to be a sheep. And not a goat. Go read that. But in Matthew 25, 34, it says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit what? The kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is not plan B. When we pray like this, your kingdom come, it is not plan B. It's plan A. Listen, God, I don't understand it, but God has perfect foreknowledge. Are you aware of that? He knew that there would have to be a rescue plan because his creation would sin, which is a will issue, by the way. We're coming to that in a minute. And he knew that all these things must occur. And he knew that in the end, he will win completely. Let me give you another uh, couple of verses. Acts 14, 21 and 22. As you think about that great book of Acts, all the, the evangelization that was going on, amen? All the church planting, all, just the amazing growing and beginning of this movement which we are part of today called the Christian church. Here's what it says, Acts 14, 21 and 22. After they had evangelized that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them, here's a quote, it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. You got any troubles? Smile. <laughs> Scripture just told you, it's okay. You're going through those. You're getting chipped off and you're getting, you're getting sharpened up and, you, and your witness is getting better and better. You're getting closer to the Lord on your way to the kingdom of God. How about that? Let me summarize in this way. I've already told you Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote the biggest book on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, It is a kingdom which is to come, yet also a kingdom which has come. The kingdom of God is in every true Christian, and he reigns in the church when she accepts him truly. The kingdom is yet to come, 
His rule and reign will one day be complete and fulfilled. Doesn't that sound good? Amen. Here's the important word of that phrase, though, I think, that we miss. It is your, or thy, kingdom, what? We get stuck on the word kingdom so much, hopefully not on your, that's God, kingdom, but we forget the word come. This is very important. This is not, this is an imperative in the biblical language. It's not a present imperative which commands a habitual action. You've heard me talk about that. You know something that we're supposed to do continually? No, this is a different, come is a different kind of imperative. It calls for a specific, definite, decisive choice. Okay, your kingdom come. Think about this. When you pray that, it implies this. Do this now, God, at once, once for all, in one quick action, with a note of urgency. Wow, that's how we should pray. God, come. Hmm. Let me ask this question of you. Your kingdom come. Is this your plea? Is this your petition for Jesus to return and fully establish his kingdom? Now, I don't mean you're just worn down. I love you. Not going to spend a lot of time with you. Sorry. If you're worn down and you say, oh, I, I just need Jesus to come back. I, I appreciate that. But God... God's, I don't care how worn down you are, God is not done with you yet. Your influence and impact is not over. Your prayers are still heard. You can still intercede for others. Hmm. Your kingdom come. I'm reminded of the end of the book. Have you read the end of the book? I've asked that already, but have you read really the last couple of verses? Let me read to you Revelation 22, verse 20. Jesus speaks here. He who testifies to these things says, and this is in red letters, surely I am coming quickly. And the rest of the verse says, amen, and you know it. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, exclamation point. My kingdom, God's kingdom. And let me just say this practically to you. God's kingdom will come whether I advance it or not. Whether you advance it or not, it's coming. Well, let's move on to point number two. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And again, I ask a very important question, and here it is. Is it my will or God's will? What do you think of when you hear the word will? It's been said, where there's a will, there are relatives. Have you ever heard that? Some of y'all will get that later. Even President Lincoln said, I'm not concerned whether God is on my side or not, but I am concerned whether I am of God's side. D.A. Carson, splendid theologian, says, in the Garden of Eden, you remember that? In the Garden of Eden, Adam said, not your will, but mine. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, not my will, but yours. You see the difference? C.S. Lewis said this, There are two kinds of people, those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says, All right, then, have it your way. And we see that a lot today, don't we? 
I don't know how many times I've been in a counseling session with someone or a family and it comes down to that, my will. I don't care whether it's an addiction, a relationship issue, a financial issue, some family thing, whatever it is, it ultimately comes down to, hey, me, my, my will instead of God's will. And I think, just as we said about kingdoms, we would say this as well, if we're honest, we battle daily the attempt of our own will doing a takeover of God's will. Now, mature Christians, it's less, it's not as prevalent, but it never totally goes away, I don't believe, until this life is over for me. It's, it's, we, we, we have to guard against a takeover of extreme importance of my will taking over God's will. When we pray your will be done, we acknowledge that God knows, and God is the one who knows best. Hear me, please. We have a lot of very educated and successful people right here in our church, and I'm glad for it. I, you guys challenge me. I love to try to keep up with you. I do my best, Except our geologists, when they get talking about these rock things, I'm, I'm gone. I can't get quite there, but I, I love all that. But it, listen, I, I'm educated, highly educated. It doesn't matter how educated we are or how successful we are or how much gifts and abilities that we have when we pray and really mean it. Your will be done. We acknowledge that God is the one who knows what is best, not me. Amen? God knows what is best. And when we pray that, we are, it's an act of surrender. If you pray, God, your will be done in my life, in my family, in my city. Your will be done. We are surrendering our will to him. That's how it has to be. It also expresses a longing to see his will acknowledged throughout the world. See, I don't think it's enough just to pray, God, your will be done in my life. God, I want to pray that your will would be done on the planet. How about you? In the nations. What happens in heaven? It's every tribe and every tongue, right? What does the Great Commission say? Go, therefore, and do all that stuff for the nations. So we must expand our prayer. Of course, it starts with us, but let it expand as well. So just like uh, in our first phrase, our petition your kingdom come. I think the important word here is your will be done. It's the exact same thing as come. It's the type of imperative that is in the form of a command that calls for action and conveys now a sense of urgency, urgency, urgency. Uh, the, the verb be done literally means come to pass. Your will come to pass. Come on. It's, it's important, Lord. So whenever we pray, we are to pray in harmony with God's will. That's another thing I want you to think about. Again, it's not the words. Listen, if you have the prayer memorized and you just pray it, sorry. It's what's behind the words. And we put them into our own words. And when we pray, God, man, your, your will, not mine. My will is messing stuff up. I need your will. We are in harmony with God's will, and we pray. That means we're going to move over here and line up with his will. We're not just going to talk about it, but we're going to line up with it. I'm going to make a bold statement here. I believe all of our prayers, hear me, 
come down to this bottom line. God, your will be done. Whatever your prayer might be, for whomever, wherever, whatever, I think bottom line is, what kind of prayer is it if it's not God, your will be done? Some people have poo-pooed and laughed about people that would pray for healing and they would say, if it's your will, and they would say, you don't have enough faith. No, I think they're praying exactly like Jesus modeled for us. My will, God, is for my son not to have cancer ever again. Amen? If it's your will, God. And we have seen time and time again when God hasn't healed or he's done something else and he knows what's best. Why? Because he gets the glory. People are saved. Lives are transformed because of that. So I think it is okay if it's not a throwaway statement to say, if it be your will, if we really believe that. Because that means we're jumping over here into his will instead of only what we want. It's an interesting... Uh, the literal words would be here, your will, whatever you wish to happen, let it happen immediately. That's really what we're praying there, what's conveyed. Here's some scripture verses for you. Psalm 46, Psalm 40, verse 6. I delight to do your will, my God. Your instruction lives within me. John 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, Jesus is our example. Isn't this great? He's not just giving us a model prayer. He exemplified it in his life. And here in John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food, that's pretty important, isn't it? Try to live for a year without food. See how that goes. Okay. He says, my food is to do what? The will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 6, 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Okay, great, Lamar, I get it. The petition, we need to pray, your will be done. How do we do that? How can I live that out? Mark it down, everyone, and some of you know these verses. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now get this. Do not be transformed, excuse me, do not be conformed to this world. But what? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern, do you remember it? What is the will of God? And then Paul explains what that is. What is good and acceptable and perfect. That ought to be enough for me, you know? Smarty pants, right? That ought to be enough for me. I ought to truly desire and want what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. It's the will of God. I need to be transformed. What about you? I need to be transformed continually. Wow. Now, let me just say this. I'm not going to go forever. We're getting closer. Hang in there. Uh, attitude matters. Did your mama ever say that to you? Did somebody ever, did a teacher ever say that to you? 
Uh, your attitude matters. Did a coach ever say, I'm telling you what, I, I could give you sports stories after sports stories of people, their attitude mattered, and they waited and waited, but they kept being part of the team, and it was their time to shine. They were ready to go. Attitude matters. So let us not pray, your will be done. Okay? Let us not pray, your will be done with an attitude of, number one, I'm going to give you a, a few R's here. Number one, with an attitude of resentment. You see, we can pray your will be done, but if our attitude is resentment, what we're really saying to the Father is this, I'll do it, but I don't like it. It's there, I read it, I'll do it, but I don't like it. It's not comfortable. It messes with my style. No, let's not pray that way. Let us also not pray your will be done with an attitude of, number two, resignation. I've seen that in people. <sighs> okay, God, you're stronger, you win. You know, this um, resignation or this great reluctance. Let's not pray that way. Instead, let us, church, pray with an attitude of reliance and relationship. What do I mean by that? Let us pray with an attitude of reliance upon the Lord and a relationship of love with God. Mm. So that helps us to pray willingly. And we pray full of trust in Him. And we pray with a surety of the will and wisdom of God. Doesn't that sound like a great way to pray and a great attitude to have? Amen. And then practically speaking, remember God can accomplish his will with me or without me. You ever experienced that? <laughs> yep. Third point, it's a short one. Heaven and earth. What I want you to notice here is that on earth as it is in heaven, I want you to notice the order. I don't mean earth and heaven, you know, the word order, but heaven is put first. Well, how can that be? On earth as it is. That's an important little phrase. On earth as it is. Heaven is put first here. It is the priority. It is the preeminence. In other words, what we do when we say your, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, we are petitioning for heaven's rule to come to earth and to come to my life as well. Why? Well, remember, Jesus models for us to pray this way. I want you to think about something. Have you ever thought about that? I glossed over that phrase for a long time. I don't, what about you? Okay, I get it. It's very profound if you think about it. Why would I want this kingdom and will to be on earth like it is in heaven? Remember something. In heaven, there is no disobedience. In heaven, there is no sin. In heaven, there are no hurdles to God's will. On earth, you lived, you've been around lately? Not so, right? So the question becomes, do we desire to see God's will done as freely, without restraint on earth, as it is in heaven? And again, I'm not talking about the sovereignty of God. I'm talking about practicality here because that's what chips away at us sometimes and gets us down in the dumps or thinks we're defeated and all these things. So we must, we must believe this in our heart, man. Make it so, God. 
like it is in heaven. Remove. How about that person? You concerned about someone that you're praying for? Anybody? Anybody in this room concerned about someone you're praying for? God, that you would remove all that stuff, right? And you would zap them. That's a theological, biblical word, isn't it? Zap. It comes from the root word zap. God, you would do that. Or maybe there's something else going on in your life. You want, don't you want that? Just God, part the waters. Man, make it be like it is in heaven. You see, this final phrase in verse 10 relates to all three petitions. Do you remember the first one? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven relates to those. Here's how it does. Think about heaven for a minute. In heaven, the angels already honor God's holy name. No restraints. Are you aware of that? Secondly, in heaven, they acknowledge his kingship. And third, they do his will. Every time scripture opens up and there's a shot of heaven or talk about heaven, man, it's not a debate about whether we're going to do this or not, they're doing his will. So we who pray this prayer on earth, we are committing ourselves to do the same as if it was in heaven. We are committing to honor God's holy name. We're committing to accept his kingship in our life, and we are committing to doing his will. Let me close in this way this morning with the question, is God's personal rule and reign evident in your life? Is it evident? Another way of saying that would be this. Is he the authority in your life? Not, not with the words that we say. We, we all could have that. We're all going to say yes with the words, but in our actions and our attitudes and what we do each day and each week and each month, is he the authority in our life? For some of you, I need to ask this question. Do you, you're not part of the kingdom. Do you want to be part of his kingdom? And even for some who are part of his kingdom, do you want to be a servant in his kingdom? That's kind of how I read the Bible. Good luck if you think you're part of the kingdom and you don't serve in the kingdom. Okay, I'm not God, I'm not judging your salvation experience, but all I know, if there's not service, another word for that is what? Fruit? Evidence in your life. We're going to get to it in chapter 7, of what he says to people. Depart from me, okay? We, we need to want to be a servant in the kingdom, and there's so many things to do there. Listen, a true Christian has undergone a kingdom shift. We now focus on God's kingdom. So let me ask you, do you have that relationship with him? Are you part of the kingdom? We must believe, we must trust, place our faith in him. Pistis, trust. And then we become children of God, part of the family. God had the rescue plan. He sent Jesus, his one and only, one of a kind, to die for our sins. So that according to John 3, that we would not perish but have eternal life. He demonstrated his love when Christ Jesus died for us.
So in everyone's life, at some point, whether young or old, there's a crisis of faith that happens. At some point, we right, and for some of you, it could be today. You're wondering, why am I here? Why do I keep coming here? Why do I keep keeping hearing this? Because it's a crisis of faith. Is it me or God? Will I repent and will I turn and run to you, God? Ask forgiveness and be saved by you. And you be the Lord of my life. That's an interesting word. It means boss, controller, master. There's a lot of different English words we could use. But that's what it means. Has that happened to you? Are you truly a Christian? If not, why not today? A kingdom shift can come to your life. And for those of you that it has come, we're going to get there eventually, Matthew 6, 33. But you'll remember the opening phrase of that verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. John Stott said it this way, Christian, greatness in the kingdom of God is measured in terms of obedience. Hey, I didn't say that. He said that. But think about that for a minute. I say to you today, church, trust God. Trust his ways. Trust his will. Donald Barnhouse said, I can say from experience that 95% of knowing the will of God consists in being prepared to do it before you know what it is. I like that. That's my prayer. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Even if I don't understand exactly what's going to happen today or tomorrow, I trust it and I prepare. How do I prepare? I obey you and I follow you. And I live out the great commandment to love others and the great commission to make disciples. Let's pray. God, I think it's appropriate just to pray right now. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Freely. As it is in heaven. Lord, I pray for the rule and reign, your rule and reign, to be evident in my life. God, that I would surrender more and more to you. And I pray that for everyone who's hearing my voice, whether online or right here in this room, or later on this week or next week, whenever. God, Would it be evident in our lives? Would we never take even a phrase in Scripture, Lord, and make it just rote or flippant, or I got it memorized, a throwaway. May it be profound in our lives. God, would you renew our minds that we may know and do your will that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.